Us podcast. This is the No Pandering Zone. Hello and welcome back to the Actors Process Podcast. My name is Kevin Duane. I'm a New York City actor and on-camera coach. The focus of this podcast is on the tools, techniques, and methods that working, experienced actors use when preparing, auditioning, and performing. I'm hoping this podcast will serve to open and expand your own thoughts and ideas. Sometimes just hearing something phrased differently can open up a whole new world. And if you haven't already, subscribing, sharing, and leaving a five-star review are all ways you can make sure this podcast continues. My guest this week is David Deblinger. David is a writer slash performer and co-founder of the Labyrinth Theatre Company. He has appeared on stage at the Manhattan Theatre Club, the Public Theatre, Theatre for a New Audience, and the Williamstown Theatre Festival. David has made appearances on The Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, Deception, Broad City, Blue Bloods, Law and Order, Damages, The Sopranos, Sex and the City, and in a recurring role opposite Forrest Whitaker in The Godfather of Harlem. I've posted a link to his demo reel in the podcast description. Again, please subscribe and share. Let's get to it. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining me this evening. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. Well, uh, first question is, all acting methods and techniques, they're all geared towards getting the performer to a certain place or state of being. Can you tell me what that place or experience is for you? How would you describe it? One way to describe it, or a few ways to describe it, I guess would be relaxed, open, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hopefully in some ways swept away into the story, uh, not really thinking too much, but responding to the impulse and sort of grounded in you in a certain way, grounded in you and not necessarily pushing to be something different. Uh, you know, that, that in connection with, with the, the circumstance, with, with the circumstance, with, with what is going on uh, specifically in the story and, and even more specifically from the character's point of view. Is there a, a point in your preparation when you know you've reached that point or... Does it come together when you're on stage or in front of the camera? Uh, well, when I first, you're talking about me as an actor now, when I'm, yes. when I'm working as, as an actor, yeah, I mean, I like to do a preparation uh, that can sometimes involve music and sort of let myself daydream about things that can uh, not necessarily be exactly what the character is happening in the character's life, but that might help me uh, fill up when it comes to the stakes, the emotional stakes of, of, of what is going on. And then once I'm either on stage or on camera, I, I like to sort of let everything go and just be there and, and see mm-hmm. and, and respond to what's going on in front of me. And so sometimes I'll also just do little things to help myself just uh, be present, like literally sometimes before I go on stage, sometimes I'll do like a silly little thing of just like the, this, that's a black table. That's a wooden floor. That's a white dresser. And I'll just try to like, just try to connect with what is really happening around me so that when I get on stage, I'm not like suddenly acting, but I'm still present because I do think being present is so key. 
Is, is that something uh, you do also when you say you drop out for a moment or you're on stage and you disconnect? Uh, uh, what do you mean drop out? What, what do you mean by that? Oh, uh, occasionally uh, actors, um, they'd say they were in the scene, but then they dropped out of the scene for a moment and they try to get back into it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely try to, uh, yeah, that definitely happens. Go in your head and then I'll try to get just back by putting my attention on on the other person or on, on what, or physically something that's going on around me. Sometimes I've had this thing, if my mind is going too quickly, I had a voice uh, teacher colleague of mine uh, who used to give the idea of like breathing in the other person breathing in their words, breathing in. I thought that was kind of interesting uh, thing to do. So sometimes I've, I've taken that to heart in that situation that you're mentioning. You went to the uh, New York's High School of Performing Arts. Um, yes. Can you tell me about your experience there and what you may have taken away from it? I loved it. It was really great. I mean, you know, I was young. I was 14 years old and I really hated school. I grew up in Queens and I just was not somebody very fond of school. I always thought it was, uh, I, I kind of was anxious about grades and tests and things. And, uh, and then I liked acting, but I also uh, hated school. And, and I, I found out about this school in Manhattan that was a vocational school for acting. So in, in that way, it like actually had the least amount of school and it was like half the day you'd be just doing, you know, your studio class of, of in my case, drama, because you could audition for the high school performing arts at the time, either in, in drama, music or dance. And uh, and so I love that idea. And then when I got there, you know, this movie that that was made pretty much about the school came out that year when I was a freshman at the high school performing arts. And that was really exciting too, because it, you know, it was just, it was, and there were upperclassmen and yeah, fame, it was called fame. And, and there were upperclassmen as, as well as teachers that were in it. And we got to see a screening and we saw our teachers, but also I, I had some great teachers I, that, that really made such an impact on me, uh, including thinking that theater isn't just about the business and that, acting and theater and art is is literally something that in certain way changes the world my my ideas about that have changed over time but i still actually at least in the moment in the moment of seeing it like what happens in the theater in that way it does change the world because people sitting there are changed you know i don't know about it after that necessarily but but uh so the power of and the sort of the idealism behind uh, uh, ideas, big ideas uh, being by great writers uh, in, in, in great stories, uh, sort of lifting up the art form of, of from just entertainment to being something important, even more important than just entertainment, but sort of a part of, of, of perhaps a cultural conversation and communication and, and a building of community with people sitting together uh, peacefully. And there's a great, uh, um, Lily Tomlin had that great one woman show on Broadway, Search for Intelligent Signs of Life. And she, I think she, there was one of her characters, I don't know if the character was an alien maybe from outer space, I can't remember, but, 
but she was sitting, she went to the theater and she was sitting and I think another character asked her, uh, oh, what's, what did you like so great? Did you like the play? Said, oh, I was looking at the audience, at all these people sitting together. I thought it was so beautiful. <laughs> I thought it was a really great, I'm probably misquoting what it was exactly, but, but there is something uh, really important. And of course, with the pandemic, I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, that theater comes back sooner than later. You have a teaching statement that says, what's most important to me is to transform the class into an ensemble of artists. And when you went to Wesleyan, I'm just reading the bio from, from uh, HB, you created your own major called Education Through Theater. Uh, where did the impetus from, from that come from? At the High School of Performing Arts, I had a, uh, in, in my third year, my junior year there, I, I uh, had the opportunity to audition for that year instead of to be in the normal acting class. Uh, I got to audition for something called the Bus and Truck Company. And that was directed by a man named Anthony Abeson, who mm. is a teacher still today, today and teaches uh, privately in New York. But at the time, he was a teacher at the High School of Performing Arts and he uh, he had studied with some amazing people uh, like uh, Jerzy Grotowski and, mm -hmm. um, and Peter Brook and Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler a little bit, I think, and Howard Klerman, but uh, in particular, I think Grotowski. And I got into this thing called the Bus and Truck Company that he directed. And for a year, we, we, we worked hard on, not just on building uh, an ensemble amongst us teenagers, but creating a show based on our own stories. The theme was getting picked on for being different. And, and we created this show and I played different characters and we toured around to the junior high schools. You know, it was kind of like a commercial for high school performing arts in a way, but it also uh, just gave me an incredible uh, idea about what could happen in a room if people trusted each other mm. and weren't just there to, show off or compete in a negative way, uh, but there to honor each other's stories. Mm. And, uh, and that stories are our life, our lives, life is story. So uh, this year had a, such a great impact on me that when I went to college, initially I wanted, initially I had a, a kind of a silly idea of, of Instead of being an actor waiter, I went to Westland because I sort of liked biology and I thought, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a, uh, instead of an actor waiter, I'll be an actor biotechnician. <laughs> and Wesleyan was kind of a fancy school for, that had an electron microscope. But when I, coming from that vocational high school and then going to Wesleyan and taking intro bio for a year, the amount of work, to be honest, that was necessary <laughs> to get a B minus was just way too much for me. And they had another thing there called the, um, uh, it was like uh, you could create your own major. And I decided to create this major. The actual title of the major was Education of the Urban Poor Through Theater. And I combined uh, psychology courses and education courses and philosophy courses and also going to Spain for, I put that into the major. And, um, you know, to learn Spanish, uh, I thought Education of the Urban Poor, that would be helpful in New York City at least. And... Um, and, but I also, a big part of it was what I learned from 
this man, Tony Abeson, and I, I ended that major with a, uh, a, a sort of a thesis project where I worked with some local high school students in Middletown and we created a show based on their stories about education. And it was a pretty uh, amazing experience. And then when I left Wesleyan, I, I mean, I had, I had left actually for a couple of years before uh, and started acting professionally. And then I went back, finished, came to New York and started uh, both acting professionally as well as doing teaching artist work, which also was influenced by his stuff. And I got to found this company, uh, Labyrinth. And actually, initially it was called Latino Actors Base. And it was primarily for Latino artists to create a home for themselves, uh, theater artists. But these two gentlemen who started it uh, asked me to do so mostly because of my uh, sort of, I think, involvement with this idea of ensemble building, mm. mostly because we were becoming friends. And, um, and then I just kept practicing this ensemble work where people could relax enough to take risks and play and not just think about, you know, uh, being good or, or, uh, you know, proving themselves. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what uh, exercises or things you might, you know, to break down those walls in people or uh, I yeah. guess the process over a period of time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, it, it does, it does, it is a process over a period of time. And by the way, I also did take the Meisner technique myself a little bit later on. And I really love that. Uh, although I didn't, I didn't necessarily become an expert, particularly on the second year, but that was incorporated. But this process that, uh, to I'm sorry, where, uh, where was that? Where was the Meisner technique from? The Meisner technique I took in, in, in New York uh, from a teacher who's no longer with us uh, named Philip Gushy. Oh, and he, uh, yeah. uh, do, do, do you remember that name? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Philip Gushy. Oh, yeah, he was a very, uh, he was a very kind gentleman. I studied with him just for a bit. And then I believe he got ill or, or something happened and it just kind of class fell away. But you were saying you liked that process. I loved Meisner. Yeah. And I loved studying with Phil. And um, I'm in touch lately with this great actor named, uh, uh, Michael Harney, who is uh, who who studied with him as well and taught for a number of years and and but has been living and, and having a great career uh, in Hollywood for for a number of years. But we we got back in touch recently and he loved Phil and and also uh, started his own studio. But I was you were asking me about my specific work. Well, so I I try to create. Uh, a playful, relaxed atmosphere uh, um, by getting people and right away to, to not just share their name, but let's say a random fact that nobody knows, but doesn't have to be a big deal. Could just be, uh, uh, my name is David. I had a slice of pizza just now. Uh, my name is Charlie. I, 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 I had a cat for my whole life. Mm. Whatever, you know, and people just, and when people share little things that they, they listen to each other, oftentimes there's like, surprised giggles or laughter and and the biggest thing is that their attention gets off themselves that they're just mm. listening and sort of uh, responding to to each other um mm. uh, i'll get people on their feet and and do physical vocal warm-ups not really only for the physical vocal warm-up part but also for again 
getting people, uh, uh, their blood flowing and even getting them laughing. Uh, um, and I'll introduce action. Uh, uh, the, that's another big part for me that the fact that uh, acting is doing but I'll also start building trust. I mean, when I'm live, obviously I've been doing a lot of virtual, excuse me, classes uh, over the past, uh, you know, seven, eight months. And, and um, but, but when we're live, I'll do physical trust stuff like asking people to pair up and, uh, and uh, one person just close your eyes and the other person just lead that person, talk to them, lead them around the room and just make sure they don't bump into anybody. And this sort of uh, allows people, oh my goodness, they, you know, they, they, they are, they're a little like, ooh. And then they also get to know each other a little bit better. They, they also, mm -hmm. laughter may ensue as well. And, uh, and it's kind of amazing when you take away the, the site voluntarily. And, um, but then I'll also do uh, something that, that I do often in my work, which is called a moment exercise and that uh, that the origin of that comes goes way back to my time at high school performing arts but but i'll say okay first everybody everybody applaud as loud as you possibly can yay okay okay um so i'm gonna invite people on their own to volunteer to get up in front of the group and do three things first for 10 seconds you're just gonna stand in front of the group do nothing then i'm gonna say moment and then i'm gonna invite you to share a moment that pops up in your mind from your life when I say the word blah, blah, blah. And, and it can be a variety of different prompts, um, uh, uh, a moment that you felt loved or a moment when you or somebody you, you know got physically hurt or a moment that pops up in your mind when I say the word school. But, and the point is, to, is, to, is if there's a moment, not a intellectual analysis or description but a memory, mm -hmm. a, a moment of remembered experience. And, and when people, and not to worry whether it's captivating or funny or interesting or compelling even, but just that it popped up. And you know, sometimes things will pop up obviously that people aren't comfortable sharing and no one should ever share anything that, that they're not comfortable sharing. But, but when people share whatever they share, if it's a moment that pops up, like 99% of the time it popped up because it has some kind of meaning and that mm -hmm. then translates into some kind of behavior when they share it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that behavior is, is infused, uh, is comes out in their voice and their, and their, and their body physical mm -hmm. little movements or whatever their face. And it, it's all, it's all uh, inspired by meaning by whatever that moment meant to them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third thing, so, so it's like 10 seconds of nothing or five seconds of nothing sometimes, uh, a moment of a particular prompt. And then I'll say, and this is the part that really gets people freaked out or some people, I say, I say song. And then I ask everybody to sing a song. And, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to do it. But that's sort of the point, <laughs> getting people to just, Go for it. And, and when it comes to what song it is, oh, it could be a song just from when you're young that you love, just like 15 seconds of a song, 20 seconds. It could be a song. Uh, and also if, people, if people's first language is not English, I, I very much want them to sing in their first language, not in English. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, and then after they sing, and, and if they can't think of one, they can make it up. They can do a rap. Or if they can't think of anything, they just sing happy birthday. 
And then after that, I, everybody applaud is to applaud as loud as they possibly can. I said, let's practice that. Ah! So people get up and, and that applause. And, and it, it, I, I, it's like, I've done this for like decades. And the first time it, it, it is based on stuff that I, an exercise we did in high school. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you so many things happened during this exercise so quickly. Even in the first class, it doesn't mean that suddenly people know how to act or whatever, but it does create an experience that allows people to have unplanned responses. And that is, I think, an aspect of always of great acting Hmm. is unplanned behavior, unplanned responses, because obviously an unplanned response is spontaneous and it is uh, sort of uh, on one level that, that thing of catching lightning in a bottle, which is what we do. We, we obviously need to know the lines. We need to be in, in the light, whether we're on camera or on stage, but we also want to be spontaneous and alive. And, and, and on one level, what we're doing is, you know, how much life can you bring to a moment? So that's, 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 that moment exercise is a big one. And then there's other meaning, meaning-based exercises that I do. Two, two in particular are, I, I just ask people to choose a track of music that holds some kind of meaning to them. And then I will play it. I'll have them get up in front of the group and they'll just stand there and I'll play it for a minute, whatever it is on my speaker, if I'm live or you know, I'll share it if I'm zooming and then I'll turn the volume down and they just share why they chose it. And I can't tell you that, that simple, simple thing. And it's partly because of how powerful music is and people's inclination. That simple exercise also elicits, again, unplanned behavior. And sometimes there's tears, or sometimes there's laughter, or sometimes it's, it's neither, but whatever it is, it's meaning. So, and then the other one, I also have an object, which is, I'm sure that's kind of common too, which is just choosing an object that holds meaning to you, and, and again, just sharing why you chose it. So these are, those are three uh, common exercises I like to help build that ensemble. Hmm. The, the idea of the music is what you mentioned before, when you're before the cameras roll or something, that, that you can tap into that for yourself to sort of bring you to the, to the place. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, music always, it just, it just it definitely gets me out of my head. You know, and if, especially if it's an intense uh, first moment, you know, or if the stakes for the particular, you know, scene, the circumstance are high in a particular direction, then when I listen to music, I can uh, daydream in a way that can help me uh, sort of with, particularly with the first moment. Do you have a a sort of catalog in your head? that you can sort of pull from when you think it's not, uh, not really, not really. It, it depends on what, what, what the part is. And, uh-huh. um, you know, I did this play, it, it really depends on what the part is, but I did this play and also what's going on, I guess, in my life at the time I mm. did this play about 
three, three, between three and four years ago. And it was, it was actually written by one of the co-founders of this company I mentioned, Labyrinth, named Paul Calderon. And we had done it at Labyrinth like 25 years ago and he did it again three years ago. And he asked me to play this role that, that somebody else played years ago. And anyway, I'm bringing it up because at that time, my little boy was, you know, he was about two or three years old. And the role also, I was playing a guy who was mentally challenged, who also was an enormous lover of both comic books and influenced by Yoruba, uh, uh, um, sort of uh, the African religion that's also Mm. Santeria and these different sort of uh, gods and goddesses. And he kind of, but he, and he believed in comic books and that stuff together as if these superheroes, supervillains were real, like those gods and goddesses were real. And so what I'm telling you all this because I was listening to some songs that reminded me a lot of my son and of, honestly, how much I love him, and as well as my brother, who's a very religious person, and who I also love, but I've had a lot of uh, difficulties because I'm not at all religious, and he's a very religious person. And, and in a way, that religiosity sort of like blended to me of what my, who my character was, because he was kind of religious too. I don't know, I'm going on and on about that because just, I guess, to get to the point that it depends what is going on both Mm. with me at that moment in time, like what affects me, what's emotional to me, as well as what I ascertain to be going on with the character in the story. What's important to the character? What, what does the character need? What, what is the character dreaming about? What is the character scared of? And, and what, and, and, and literally what's happening the moment I start in the scene. So three of your, your important ideas uh, that you focus on in your classes is acting is doing and the gasoline for doing is meaning and the importance of being present and in the moment. Can you define yourself what acting is doing would mean or how would you explain it to your class, different teachers? Yeah, yeah. so it, uh, one way that I've explained it is, is just, you know, you take a line like, hey, what's up? Right. And, and if I assign a, and if I just merely ex, uh, assign a, an action verb to that line, Hey, what's up. Right. And I, and I, and I place my eyes on you, or even if I place my eyes on the zoom on the camera here and, and I, and I think of, of one action and I, and I just, think of that action verb and an action verb is to do something a to this to that you know what i mean so if so for instance to uh hey what's up and and i think of one verb um and and i and i go i look into the camera and i'm like hey what's up and and i think maybe that action uh, verb is to threaten or i or i think of that line again uh hey what's up and i'm like hey What's up? And, and same line, different action. Just, and that's just saying, you know, intellectually a verb. So if that one, I thought what to flirt, to titillate, to, you know, seduce or whatever. Um, and, and, and same line, but different story. 
and then act and then and so that's just the sort of the 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 power of of action that that uh which is is what fills uh, up a story uh, mm-hmm. a story is filled with with characters doing things pursuing actions to get what they want uh, uh that are heading in a direction that they think they want to go and that may they may be incorrect and and and, and definitely will hit obstacles because if they don't, then there's no conflict and there's no story. But anyway, so, so there, there's, a, I guess, an idea of acting is doing, but, but then the second thing with, with meaning is the gasoline for doing. So that's, that's where you fill up with, or you try to understand, or you try to personalize, but what would it really be like to want to do that for me? You know, what would it be really be like, you know, to want to do that? So, and, and the more you know, you, can, you come to understand yourself as a human being, mm-hmm. the more, I think the, the better you can personalize and understand certain things. And understanding yourself as a human being doesn't have to mean, you know, intellectually understanding everything or going to therapy for millions of dollars um but it but it does mean being able to allow yourself to 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 understand what is going on on a personal on a, in a personal way um and then that meaning so i mean i guess a for instance is um my wife is my wife is uh, I don't know what, what this matters. My wife is not from this country. She's not white, you know, and, and we were, we were, we were in Brooklyn and we were in a, we were buying some wine in a wine store and uh, a young white woman, uh, my wife was outside with my son and, and this young white woman who was working in the wine store, I was inside the wine store, the, the, the young woman, I guess she saw them near the sign that was outside, like the sign that was on the sidewalk. And for some reason, I think this woman was a little crazy, actually. She ran outside to, and got really intense with my wife about not to touch the sign. But, but and my wife is a pretty sensitive person like me, and, and the woman was like, and then she, the woman tried to say, oh, it's because, you know, it's, it's dirty and the, the, the birds make droppings on the sign. But I swear to God, somebody acting like that to my wife I like if I, and then know, and then knowing how my wife felt, you know, like I, I, I would want to kill them. Like I'm not that I'd really kill them, but I know that feeling. You know, that's that's what comes up in me. So whatever, I'm just pointing that out because that's meaning for me. That might be gasoline for wanting to hurt somebody. You know what I mean? Or wanting to do something, you know, it's one, one, one way. Some of this stuff is, is also unconscious. You know, it's not, you don't yeah. even have to think about it intellectually, but just coming to know yourself. But, but definitely the more you personalize, the more that meaning backs up action, the more nuanced, the more specific and the more human the, the work is, the behavior is, the action is. And, and, keep and drilling down. Yeah, yeah, in a way. I mean, I, I, I had the great, uh, what do you call, um, I had the, I guess, the fortunate 
uh, experience of coming to know this actor. I wouldn't be surprised if Austin mentioned him, uh, uh, this actor named Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, who was also a member of, of my, uh, of, of not my, of our theater company. And Phil would constantly do what you just said, drill. He was like, but why, but why? He was always like, but why, but why, but why, but why, but why? No, 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 but why, but why? Like, why would it, why does he do that? Why would it do that? Why would it do that? Why would it? He would just drill, drill, think about to get more and more specific. And I think visceral, a visceral understanding of what would make him want to do that more than anything else in the world. And uh, anyway, so that's, that's uh, a lot about uh, that the, the gasoline for doing is meaning. And then the third thing is, is yeah, it, it sort of comes from my experience with the miser technique about that uh, it's just when people interact with each other, not everything is in, your, is, is in our control. And when you're literally affected by another person, that means that's happening right now. And it's never going to happen exactly the same way because it happened and you allowed it to happen and you were listening and the other person's eyes or face or voice or every had an effect on you. Just like even the, the chair, the room, your own mood, your own uh, physical state of being that day uh, uh, is affected. So being in the moment, it's funny because even when I, when I teach sometimes and I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll be talking a lot like I am now and, and I'll be looking recently at all these little boxes with people listening and, and, and you, in a way, when people are really listening, sometimes maybe people are a little sleeping or sometimes people are, 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 are like trying really hard to listen or sometimes people are like, uh, they don't understand or whatever and, and whatever it is, they are present and kind of communicating meaning in the little box or in, in how they're touching their face or how they're breathing or how they're looking around or how they're, I see like, I get sometimes a lot of people who are, I feel like fast paced finance, full time working Wall Street, probably making a lot of money and, and they got the things on and, and, they're, and, and they're looking at me, but they're looking down. And I know some of them are like doing something else while, which is quite annoying, you know, while they're taking the class, but it speaks a lot about where they are in that moment. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, but, but being present, being in the moment in a way, in a way it, it may be one of the, particularly I would say for film and television, not, not really, but on what it's very important thing. It's, it's so important to be in the moment and, and to be, because you can tell when someone is, when somebody's rehearsing and when someone's doing what they rehearsed and they have this great performance that they rehearsed, chances are to some degree it's dead because they're not in the moment. The performance is about being connected to stuff possibly outside of you. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, outside of you and possibly inside of you, obviously as well, you know, but in the moment, present. So th there's a lot of talk about those three. The reason I, I uh, bring up those three. They're big, I mean, they're huge. And, and these, all these techniques by amazing teachers like, Uta Hagen and, and Stella Adler and Henry Strasberg and, and, uh, and others 
you know, have, and Meisner, you know, have, have very specific ways to, to uh, I think, address similar things, which, which is, again, life. How much life can you bring to the moment, to moment, to moment, you know? See, you've booked a number of stage and television roles. You've been on Sopranos, Sex and the City, Law and Order, SVU, Damages. What do you attribute your success to? I mean, you're, you're obviously, you know, people see you and, and they like what they see. What, what advice would you give someone before entering the audition room? I like, uh, I mean, I come up with my advice. I'd like to, I like, there's a Brian Cranston has great better advice because uh, he says he uh, he has this like one minute thing online which basically talks about not thinking about getting the job mm. but doing some work i think phil also had a, a quote where he was like if somebody rents a room or takes the time to look at your tape or whatever then it's a time to perform so as hard as, as much work you can put in beforehand, the better. I would say also, I'm a, I'm a fan of getting really off book if you can, if you have time to the p- point where you can play, you, can, you don't have to worry about the words. You, you, you know what I mean? Um, as, and, and you can worry more about the, about the meaning. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, wh- and when you get to work on it enough, you can, you can come up with ways that make you feel like you in a certain way own it, mm. you know, and, and be free with your own impulses, with your own choices. You've worked with a, a lot of different actors as well. Do you pick up anything from observing other actors you've worked with? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's such a pleasure to, to uh, be around and work with, people you you respect a great deal and but I, I think a lot of what I'm talking to you about right now is comes uh, from that from seeing people so present so specific so honest and so committed to, to both to doing as well as to listening and 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 working off uh, the other person a lot of the people from my theater company are, are big Meisner folks. Uh, they, they, a lot of them sort of are believers in, in, in the, the Meisner work. And that, that's not all that work is, but, but uh, a big part of that work is, is, is being free of the words alone and being connected to the, 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 the moment, to the other person, and to your own response to the circumstance. How do you break down a script? Um, maybe it's just sides for an audition or what? I, I like, I like the, what Anthony, I mean, I, I don't know how great it's been for everybody or for even for me, but Anthony Hopkins has this, uh, uh, he, put, he put out this little, commentary about his work and he said that he likes to go over all the words not just his words everybody's words like once and then they'll put a little like a spoke make a circle and they'll put like a spoke of a wheel 
and then again and another spoke and then again and another spoke and then another spoke and he has wheels with five spokes and then he has hundreds if not he does it thousands of times just keeps going da, 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 da. and I, I i don't know if he said this but but i like to do that monotone not, not, trying not to think about or, or have like a naturalistic way to say the words but because i feel like two things happen for me at the same time when i do that one is to you know sort of by osmosis memorize it um if, especially if i do it thousands of times and and two is that i kind of uh, my unconscious kind of starts getting it, it's digesting what's going on here for itself so that it becomes more and more specific and, and personal to me uh and as to what could be happening moment to moment and then after doing that i will uh sometimes try to think of verbs uh like bit by bit of what uh, of what my character is doing to mm. you know, act to act upon the other person and and uh or sometimes to, to you know people you can do something to yourself you know to bash yourself in the head to beat yourself up to mm. to prop yourself up to stand up for yourself to you know there's there's actions that can happen at, towards outside towards inside uh, or to recall to to think could even be i think an action to um yeah to contemplate to wonder to dream so so yeah so i, I might write write a lot of verbs down uh um as well and then uh, after a time i assume you just let them drop away um, yeah yeah, yeah. And then once I'm, I, I won't be thinking, I, I don't want to be thinking about the verbs uh, when I'm acting. I, I, but I also don't want to really be thinking about the lines either. You know, I want the lines just to be there. I, I don't want to have to worry about, because as soon as you're thinking about the line, that's what you're doing. You're thinking about the line. And, and, and especially with television or film, I feel like you can tell. If somebody's like hesitating and like their mind, as opposed to because in life we're not we're not usually thinking about we're thinking about stuff, but we're not thinking about lines. We're not, we're not thinking about our lines. It sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong. You have these three basic tenets: the acting is doing, the gasoline for doing is meaning, and the importance of being present and in the moment. And you have a, a lot of tools or exercises uh, for your students. You're, you're continually hitting on those, but it, 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 over the, those three, those three uh, concepts continually travel through, through your teachings. Uh, you, you teach an acting one and an acting two. Uh, is there a difference uh, in those? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, in, in my acting two class at, at HB, I, I, I get um, I get to text, and uh, to some I mean I, it changes, uh, and I change even my teaching. I change all the time. I'm I'm sort of exploring sometimes different things and trying to because it's not an easy thing to teach. But I do find that the more I explore, the more it helps me as well because I'm I'm uh, I've been sort of involved with it for a long time, and and it definitely. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about it and a lot of experiences with it, but I also know that it's not intellectual. It's not purely intellectual. 
So in, in working with people, sometimes it's less what I say than how, than the vibe of the class. But in acting too, I, it, it, it becomes more scene work uh, as well as uh, just a, a little bit more advanced um, um, introducing these topics through improvisations and role plays and uh, and some games and 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 discussions and uh, and maybe a little bit of text in acting one, but uh, in and uh, acting two, uh, I, I go a bit more for uh, like like a nice sized scene from a play, mm. and, uh, and sometimes and I'll attempt to cast it in a way that I don't think it's like a huge stretch that, that, that I can feel there's an aesthetic or a sensibility, even emotionally that I think this person could, could sell that particular theme. And, um, and that's what, uh, yeah. And then acting on camera one, I also teach and Mm -hmm. that I do include text, uh, even though it's, it's a level one, but I also do a lot of uh, work and that's similar as well as a bit, a bit of uh, focusing on, the pragmatic, uh, not, not a lot. The, m- m- many teachers do much more than I do, but uh, I do do some focusing on the pr- pragmatic experience of, of being on a set and the different um, things one has to adapt to uh, uh, in, in, you know, acting f- for the camera. When you uh, go into an audition room, you know, first thing is typically they take a full-size slate with your name and all that, and then they adjust the camera. Are you doing anything in those brief moments or, or, or for example, before the director calls action, uh, or, do you feel, or do you feel that you're typically so well prepared, you've read this script countless times and gone over it and delved into it that, that you can kind of turn it on? Um, I, I, I like to be uh, mulling in my head the sort of a preparation before I walk into the room. Once I, I'm in the room or if I'm saying hello in the slate, then I like to, uh, you know, acknowledge and look and take in the person I'm talking to. Uh, and, uh, and the slate, you know, I like to just maybe warm them, warm the camera in some ways. And then, and then, yeah, try to get into it. I mean, lately, I've over the past few months, I've been honestly, I've been getting to put myself on tape more than I have in, in, in uh, most of my career, and uh, and I am loving it. I I, I, I did a, I did a piece, I did a, a movie a long time ago, about twenty years ago, actually, for Showtime that was directed by by an actor named Saul Rubinek. And he's a great actor and he directed this, this movie for Showtime that uh, another actor named Steven Weber uh, wrote, oh. starred in, and, and, and along with Alan Alda. And anyway, I got to play a, a great role in that movie. And he, uh, he made the point to me that never, I, I never, I haven't had that option up until, like I said, up until these past months, but, he's says he never allows them to push him into going into the casting session mm-hmm. uh, only to meet producers is a different thing. I think he said, but, but he, he always puts himself on tape and, and obviously putting yourself on tape is, is a quite advantageous 
if not only because you can do it a lot until you feel like you did it well, if you have time. And you can also hopefully be as relaxed as possible. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so I'm loving it. I'm loving the, my wife, I'm not sure how much she's loving it because she has to help me, but. Uh, <laughs> she's your reader. Yeah, yeah. An editor a little bit too. She edits, but anyway. Well, David, I, I, I went a little over, I'm sorry. I can't thank you for enough for your time. Although you, you're very, you seem very, I don't know, like kind as well as into the, the craft and understanding specific things about, the, about what acting is. And you, you have very sincere curiosity. So it's quite refreshing and I appreciate it. And, and thank you for uh, asking me. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really nice to, to meet you virtually. Yes, I hope to see you in the, run into you in the... Uh... In, in the live space, sure. the building. Thanks again, David. Stay well. Thank you. You too. Stay well. Thank you again, David. If you got something from that, however small, maybe an insight or an opening up of something that wasn't always clear to you, I'd love to hear from you. And please continue to send in your own ideas, insights, and takeaways. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback regarding the takeaways, so I'll, of course, be continuing that section of the podcast. And your participation in the growth and improvement of this podcast is always welcome. So keep those topics, suggestions, and questions coming. I can be reached at Kevin at the Actors Process Podcast.com or through my Instagram account, where I post a daily quote on acting by notable actors. And please subscribe and share with your fellow actors and kindly leave a five-star review on Apple and elsewhere. Be a participant, not just a follower. Because it comes down to it, this podcast is for your benefit. Now the takeaways. David describes his experience of acting as being relaxed, open, swept away into the story, responding to the impulse, grounded in you, and not pushing to be something different in the circumstances and character's point of view. So in your preparation, you might ask yourself, what needs to be present or experienced for me so that I'm swept away? David likes to prepare before the cameras roll or going on stage by listening to music, daydreaming, things that might help him fill up when it comes to the emotional stakes of what's going on. Once on stage, he likes to let everything go and respond, trusting that all the work and preparation is bubbling underneath. In order to access being present, he'll see and take in the physical objects around him. It's a black table, it's a wooden floor, connecting with what's really there so he's not suddenly acting, but being present and grounded in the reality of what's going on. Because as actors, we sometimes make a shift inside from real life into acting mode. When David feels his mind is going too quickly, a voice teacher suggested to him, breathing in the other person, breathing in their words. Acting is doing. David gave the example, you take a line like, hey, what's up? And just assign an action verb to that line. Place your eyes on the other person and just think of that action verb, to do something, to threaten, to flirt. Same line, different action. That's the power of action. It's action that fills up a story. A story is filled with characters doing things, pursuing actions to get what they want. 
heading in a direction they think they want to go. Meaning is the gasoline for doing. That's where you fill up or try to personalize what that would really be like for me to want to do that, to find out what's going on in a personal way. The more meaning backs up the action, the more nuanced, specific, and human the action is. David mentioned how Philip Seymour Hoffman would continually drill down, asking himself, but why? Why would the character do that to get more and more specific, to get a visceral understanding of what would make him want to do that more than anything else in the world? David advises, see auditioning as a time to perform and be off book so that you can play. And when auditioning, you want to get a place in the work where you feel you own it and be free with your own impulses and choices. Dave mentioned the anecdote that Anthony Hopkins reads the script at least a hundred times and more. I believe Dave Bob mentioned the same anecdote in his episode. Dave likes to do this monotone, trying not to add a naturalistic way to say the text. It allows him to learn the lines by osmosis. His unconscious is digesting what's going on, so it becomes more and more specific and personal to him as to what could be happening moment to moment. Then he will think of verbs, bit by bit, what his character is doing to act upon others or himself. He writes a lot of verbs down. He doesn't want to be thinking about the verbs or the lines. He just wants the lines to be there. In life, we're not thinking about our lines. Well, that's a wrap for this week. I'd mention that it's so important to the continuation of this podcast that you subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review, but I'm guessing you've already done that. Till next time, know your lines and don't bump into the furniture.